All right, as the offering team is taking offering, this is a, this is a little long today, so I'm going to get started while they're in the first row taking money. <clears throat> so a few weeks ago, if you guys remember, I highlighted some very popular spiritual phrases, like when people say they're spiritual, I'm not religious, I'm just spiritual. And I kind of highlighted some popular spiritual phrases that are actually kind of cheap, pointless, and powerless. You guys remember that? <laughs> phrases, phrases like, follow your heart, and find inner peace, and sending positive vibes, or adjust your okra, I mean chakra. You know, those... I did say okra. These, of course, are non-biblical phrases spoken by those who think they're spiritual, but are really, these phrases are powerless and useless when it comes to transforming lives. But Christians also have phrases that are useless, especially when there's no action behind them, especially when we post them on social media. We use them when we feel like we must at least say something to soothe our conscience, but then we do nothing. Phrases like, I'll pray for you. Offering to pray for people in crisis without any commitment from us to help them find a solution, even when you know you could help them. That's a useless phrase. Often we don't really even pray when we say that. This is a lack of action that makes what could be a good thing absolutely worthless. How about this one? It's all in God's hands. I mean, saying this to someone in crisis and then leaving them to suffer alone is sadistic and cold-hearted. Especially if God has put you in a place in life to be His hands that everything is in. But we don't even care to lift a finger. The Lord works in mysterious ways. There's another one I can't stand. First, how do you know the hardship they're suffering through is the Lord's work? Couldn't it be the work of evil in this world? Second, what if you're supposed to be part of Lord's mysterious work? The part that provides relief in their suffering. But you'd rather not be bothered. What good are those words to anyone? Here's another one. God will make a way. Now, you can say this one with passion, too. God is making a way. He'll make a way. And it is super religious. But saying it with no intention of trying to be part of the way that God might be making, well, that's just nice-sounding, useless cheap talk. And there's the last one. God won't ever give you more than you can't handle. All right, listen, for personal reasons that I'm not going to go into, this is the one I hate the most. If we just speak religious phrases to fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, especially those in our church family, but then we aren't willing to help in earthly, tangible ways, James says this is an important warning sign that our ropes of faith are not secure. Look at our passage today, James chapter 2, verse 14 through 26. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, God will make a way. It's all in God's hands. 
He won't give you any more than you can handle. Be warmed and filled. Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Well, his answer, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was Abraham our father not justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. The scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way was not Rahab, there's our friend Rahab. In the same way was not Rahab the prostitute also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Yeah, you think you want me to preach it. This is not good. It was a rough week, a rough week. I have one point that I want to make to you today about the history of this passage. I'm going to talk about Abraham and Rahab. I want you to understand the power this teaching would have for James's first century Jewish Christian readers. So the historical context actually makes this truth accessible and relevant to every one of you here in this room today because it's just as true today as it was then. So James compares, of all people, the faith of Abraham to the faith of Rahab, two well-known and beloved people in in Israel's faith heritage, but they have very very different redemption stories. Abraham, a man, was the patriarch of Judaism. Listen, nobody was more Jewish than Abraham. He was the Jewiest of all Jews of all time. (laughs) It's probably not a word. He is a great patriarch. He's honored and loved to this day as an example of what it means to be faithful to God. Rahab, a woman, and I don't have to go into what that means in that day. She's a Gentile, a pagan, and she's a prostitute from a Canaanite city called Jericho, which we studied. Nobody was less Jewish than Rahab. She was the least Jewish of all the Jews in all the world. And like most women in the ancient world, she was marginalized. A nobody at the bottom of the social economic structure. So in high school, Abraham will be voted most likely to become righteous. That's Abraham. Rahab will be the least likely to become righteous. Abraham was named by God as the heir to all God's promises for his people. making him Israel's most beloved figure. Rahab was born with no claim to any of those inheritances or promises. Nobody had ever even heard of her before of Jericho. Abraham was wealthy. Rahab was just doing whatever she could do to make ends meet and support her family. 
Abraham's faith journey consisted of responding to God's incredible call to leave his homeland and trust God every step of the way to claim these incredible promises. And even in that moment, when God asked him to do the unthinkable, to be willing to sacrifice his son Isaac, if you read the story, you know what it says? When, Ab- when Isaac asked God, or Dad, what's going on? Abraham says, don't worry, God will provide. And Abraham showed his faith in God through his obedience. Now, Rahab's faith journey, one, not a lifetime, but one massive choice, risk her life and her family's life by aligning with God's people as they get ready to invade her hometown. So Rahab hid Israelite spies. By the way, one of those spies was named Joshua. She helped them escape. She played a key role in God keeping his promises to who? Abraham that God made generations earlier. She became a worshiper of God at Mount Ebal and a part of the lineage of Jesus. James says, by the way, first century Jewish Christian readers, just FYI, you know your spiritual hero, Abraham? He was justified the same way Rahab the prostitute was. Through the gift of faith, not status, not wealth, not religion. Both are brought to the same place, beloved children of God. They couldn't be more different. But both are indispensable players in God's plan for his people, including today, you and me. Without faith justifying Abraham and Rahab, there is no Israel, there's no Messiah, there's certainly no grace life, and there's no redemption for us. That's the history. What about God? What is he doing with the theology here? I want you to see that this is about being more than words. Let's start with what James is not teaching. Scripture is clear. Salvation is not chosen, earned, or kept by human effort. Let me say it again. Salvation is not chosen, earned, or kept by human effort. If it was, we would all be in big trouble because none of us would choose, none of us would earn it, and none of us would keep it. What is clear throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New, is that real faith always does produce good works. Today is a very, I want you to understand, this is about as practical and simple test of your ropes of faith. If you can't pass this ropes of faith test, you're in trouble. Our faith, like Abraham and Rahab's, will prove itself by works. James provides a simple practical example in this that exposes what kind of ropes you might be clinging to This morning, here's what he says. A brother or a sister comes into your church. They are clearly struggling with simple daily needs like food and clothes. Understand, he's not talking about a stranger. He's not talking about an outsider. He's talking about someone who is established in your church family. Do you understand? This is a brother or sister. And they're desperate. Someone you know. Someone who has worshipped God with you. Someone who helps expand the kingdom of God with you here at Mount Lockwood Ridge. Someone who you have broken bread with, most likely, in some, degree, some way or another. He says, if you see this brother or sister that you know well, who's a part of your church family, they walk in, they're struggling with food and clothes, and you have plenty, and you see them with nothing, and just say, man, good luck, I'll pray for you, I hope it gets better. See, maybe you would have plenty, 
but you spend so much on selfish or sinful stuff, there's nothing left to help them with, or you just don't care. James says our ropes of faith are imaginary if that is us. They're just words. There's no action. There's no love. There's no empathy. There's no generosity. And there certainly is no obedience. You have become just like the religious crowd that Jesus warned about in the Sermon on the Mount. Do you remember what he said in Matthew 7, 21? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That's who you are. These are people who say they follow Jesus. They know and use all the church phrases, but they aren't saved. Their faith is listless and dead. It doesn't even inspire them to be willing to meet the basic needs of people in their own church family. This should be an easy, no-brainer act of faith, right? Providing a desperate, hurting brother or sister that you worship with, with food or clothes they need just to get through the day? You don't have to be a Bible expert to do that. You don't have to be someone who's been a Christian for decades. You don't have to pass some super religious test to be able to make sure that you can do that. Anyone with real faith should be able to pass this test no matter where they come from, right? Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. You know I was going to get this one in there, right? <laughs> For by grace you've been saved through faith. This faith is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. So faith is a? That's correct. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk into, and you guys know how I like to say it, trip over. Here's the simple test of your ropes of faith that James is giving. You ready? If real faith has taken root in your life, loving other followers of Jesus in your church is definitely one of those good works God prepared beforehand that you should naturally trip over. If the gospel has been implanted into your life, loving your church family is the very first of these good works you should be able to express. This is a stern warning for those who say they have faith but can't even love those in their church who might be suffering. Again, we're not even talking about people you don't know. However, this is also a beautiful encouragement that faith can inspire anyone from the background of Rahab or Abraham to love members of their church family, just like we learned last week, no matter where they come from. Starting with the simplest of needs, a food for a day and a shirt on their back. Yes, it's simple. But our willingness to love one another is a supernatural miracle. Did you know that? I mean, look at some of you. People who love this world, those without faith, cannot love us like we can love each other. Do you understand what I'm saying? People from outside the body of Christ cannot love us the way we should love one another if we have real faith. Do you see that? Okay, that's the theology. Let's look at the personal section today. I called this section, Faith Without Love is Dead. This was the sermon preview this week. If you say you love Jesus but have no evidence of that, 
love for those in your own church family, your faith is completely useless. Look, James isn't saying that your faith must be strong enough to become the spiritual patriarch of the nation of Israel. Relax. James isn't even saying your faith must be strong enough to risk your life by hiding spies. Look, maybe one day it gets to that point. I mean, I doubt it, but you never know, I guess. No, the bar to test our ropes of faith today that he gives us is a much lower, simpler, easier bar. This is a test of loyal, faithful generosity that any follower of Jesus, old, young, rich, or poor, anyone with the gift of faith should be able to pass. Look at John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? I mean, that's pretty clear, right? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Do you see how this shadows James chapter 2, verse 14 through 26? The test of loving your fellow redeemed church family comes from gratitude for what Jesus has done for you. Our ropes of faith should be strong enough at least strong enough to inspire, at the very least, the good work of loving our brothers and sisters. Listen, let me just put it this way. There is no reason ever for anyone who is a part of our Grace Life family to go without these simple, basic daily needs. Ever. We're not talking about paying off a mortgage here. And their kids to college. We're talking about the simple, basic things they need to survive. We're talking about making sure that you're hurting brothers and sisters that they go through whatever hardship they're going through, at least have food and clothes. I mean, this, this should be an obvious, attainable test of our ropes of faith, right? If you can't even hear this, you got a big problem. I don't care how Christian you sound or look. I don't care if you can pray well. I don't care if you can memorize lots of scripture. Or if like Abraham, you've been religious most of your life. If you can't love your brothers and sisters who just need daily food, your faith is useless. I mean, if we can't feed or close those who are a consistent part of our church family, who are hungry and naked, wow, that's not good. So what kind of faith actions is God providing for you? Whether you fancy yourself like Abraham, an accomplished religious person, or Rahab with no spiritual heritage to speak of, will faith inspire these proofs of your ropes of faith today? If I asked, if I asked you to do this, would you be able to, and don't do it yet, could you look at the person to your left and the person to your right? I said, don't do it. You guys are doing it. <laughs> Couldn't resist. I knew that was going to happen. Could you look to the person to your left and your right and say, listen, if you're ever hungry or naked, I got you. You're doing it, aren't you? 
Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. What if, I knew you were going to do this, so now you're ready, ready? What if whoever is to your left or right is someone who isn't here often? That you don't know too well? Or don't like, like Scotty? What if that's the... <laughs> Poor Scotty. I got you, okay? I got you. Let me ask you a question. <laughs> yes, I, we're, we're all lucky you're not naked. Okay, but could you come to church? Listen, could you, who's a person who says you're a follower of Jesus, could you come to church on a day like today, sing songs and pray and listen to a sermon and maybe even say amen and then find out someone who is in or part of your church family is hungry and naked and just ignore it? Or worse, could you just say to him, oh, you're hungry and naked, don't worry, I'll pray for you, and then do nothing? <laughs> Are you so detached from the people of God that wouldn't even be in your heart to help someone like that? Could you leave Grace Life today knowing that someone is in desperate need and be completely ambivalent to it? Could you leave Mount Lockwood Ridge and go the whole week without even thinking to reach out to offer food or clothes? 1 John chapter 4, verse 21. This commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. I wish it was more clear. <laughs> in the Greek, you know what it means in the Greek? It means whoever loves God must also love his brother. That's what it means in the Greek. <coughs> Look, this is, a simple, this is a very simple test of our ropes of faith. If you are true worshipers of Jesus, you will also love your church. Real faith won't allow you to sit piously in church when you know someone in your church family is hungry and naked. See, but this goes a little bit further, as you knew it would. This isn't just about giving someone a gift card to Publix or Walmart. It is actually a call to intimacy and brotherhood. It's a call to be around enough to know your church family well enough that you can provide daily needs when they need them, sometimes without even asking. It's a call to the kind of relationships where the person in need can ask and not feel embarrassed or fearful. See, real faith produces action that rolls our sleeves up and connects with each other and the lives and the stories of those who are in this room. Why would a church struggle with this test? I'll tell you why. Because people in every church are tempted to neglect intimacy. Because it takes time. See, we are much more inclined to focus on ourselves, on our own lives, on our own problems, and skip over others. You see, passing this kind of test requires those in need... And those who can't, or those that aren't in need, but those who can meet the need, it requires both of those to be connected. So, I just talked about the people who should be meeting the need. Listen to you. If you're a person in need, it's a call to you as well. Don't just show up here at Mount Lockwood Ridge when you're hungry. Be here when you're not as well. Don't just show up on Mount Lockwood Ridge when you don't have any clothes. Show up here to worship when you're not hungry, when you're not naked. 
If you are connected and you are in need, you won't be embarrassed then to let your family know that you are hungry or naked because you are part of the body of Christ. In fact, listen to this. If you are in need and you're here all the time, listen to this. You may not believe this, but it's true, and I think everyone else would tell you this. Your church will be grateful for the chance to verify their faith by loving you because they know you love them. So can you leave here today knowing your ropes of faith are secure because you're connected enough to love and to be loved? Now, what if you're here today and you're not connected enough to pass this test of your ropes of faith? Well, Grace Life is no different from every church early in the first century up until now and every congregation that has ever existed in church history. And this is the way we are no different. Every church has people in their assembly who say they have faith but no works. Now listen, that's okay. You know why? Because it's part of the process of God drawing people here to Mount Lockwood Ridge with us to hear the gospel and to learn about grace and love and mercy and what it really looks like. This is why we preach the gospel. So those with ears to hear can with, and see if you can remember this from chapter 1, those with ears to hear can with humility receive with meekness the implanted word of God which can save your souls. So, if you're here today and you feel like your ropes of faith are failing this test, it's not the end of the world. In fact, by God's grace, Your realization of your problem is, in fact, the beginning of a new life, a new identity, and a new family. Let your brand new, eye-opening gift of faith provide you with your very first good work that you're about to trip over. You know what that is? Let the law of liberty set you free from guilt. Receive with humility the implanted word of God and join us here on Mount Lockwood Ridge, whereby God's grace and our ropes of faith will never allow any one of us to go even a day without food or clothes. Dear Jesus, we don't want to be those who live selfishly and everything that we get we consume it upon our own lusts or our own desires we want to have the type of relationships that people who need and people who have love one another enough that there is no embarrassment there's no barrier there's no boundary that no one in our church family ever goes a day without food or clothes Lord we know that it can go much further than that later But at the very least, if we're children of God, if we have followed your commands to trust the gospel, we should at the very least love one another. That's what John tells us. That's what James tells us. And Lord, help us to be committed to be here consistently enough to know the needs and to let people know when we have them. For those who heard this test of their ropes of faith and they're a little nervous, Lord, I'm thankful for that discomfort because that means you are calling them. If they weren't, comfortable, if they weren't uncomfortable at all, then that would be the problem. 
But by your grace and your mercy, you are allowing them the opportunity to receive with meekness that implanted word of God from the Holy Spirit that saves our souls, that transforms us, and turns us into those who love one another relentlessly. And Lord, as the outside world looks in and sees how we love one another in mercy and in humility, Lord, I pray that they would be inspired to become a part of something the world could never, ever give them. The love of brothers and sisters who follow Jesus. Thank you for this test of our ropes of faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.